It took an act of rebellion to allow Nadia Levitt access to her full adoption story. As is the case for many adoptees, processing that story has taken a long time. In her case, it led her to start a podcast in Australia where she lives to help herself and others like her come to terms with how adoption has affected their lives. Find out where Nadia's story has taken her this time on Adoption Uncovered. Well, hi there. If you could just start out telling me who you are and um, how you're connected to adoption. Well, um, well, thank you so much for having me on your podcast. Um, it's just, yeah, an honour to be able to share my story and um, to be able to link up with other people, not only in Australia, but all around the world, which is, I think is really fantastic. Um, so first of all, my name is Nadia Levitt and I live in Australia and um, I run the, I'm the host of the Australian Adoption Podcast, which I launched um, about 12 months ago now, just over 12 months. And um, yeah, just basically um, I've been interviewing people all around Australia and I guess um, the unique part about um, me doing this podcast is that I'm doing it as I'm traveling around Australia. So I've got a husband, my husband and my two children, and we live, are living in a caravan at the moment. And we are, um, we're normally from Sydney, but we, um, we've been traveling, yeah, from Sydney and we've gone to, uh, we've done New South Wales, Victoria, Tasmania, South Australia, uh, Western Australia, and now we're in the Northern Territory. So we're kind of on the, uh, the back end of our trip we've got about four months to go and basically I um I had a few interviews that I did prior to leaving um which included my own story and then um uh then yeah then I hit the road and I've been contacting people um either online via zoom or meeting them in person so the ones that I've met in person have been you know, um, really spontaneous and amazing. And, um, yeah, I've just um, kind of uh, organised my sort of schedule um, as I'm travelling around the country um, to meet up with these people and interview them in their home. So, um, yeah, it's been it's been an amazing journey for me, both personally and professionally. So, yeah, I've just finished my uh, first season Um so there's 12 episodes in the first season and I'm up to, yeah, working on season two of the podcast. Yeah. So oh, it's. um, That's wonderful. <laughs> um, yeah. It's exciting to hear about um, you bringing these stories to light and um, what you're finding out. Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, it's, um, it's been um, quite empowering actually. Um you know, it's not easy to uh, tell your story. Um, you have to be kind of in a, in a really safe space to share, be able to share your story with someone, um, to have the ability to um, really formulate the words. I think um, for me as an adoptee, um, I was very quiet about that topic in my life and I never was able to um, express how I felt or what I was thinking um, into words. And so when I started um, writing, 
um, which I highly recommend is, um, you know, I know that you've got adopted children, you've adopted some children, and um, I highly recommend they do do journaling um, so that they're able to kind of make sense of their emotions and their thoughts um, and put, put those thoughts into words. So once I did that, then I was ready to share my story with the world and be comfortable with um, owning that part of myself and owning my truth in es- in essence. Um, but the truth sort of keeps changing. So it's that's why I've got the, my unknown truth as the topic because um, what I know now is the truth for me now but, you know, later down the track in a few years' time, you know, you're learning something new or uncovering something new every time and that's what, it, what, what it's like for most um most adoption stories is that it's it's um, a lifelong of um, a lifelong story of unpacking um, uh, unpacking different things about about themselves um, yeah, and about you know the world around them. Nadia spent time in many foster families in her early years before she was finally adopted into a home where her parents were able to nurture her and give her consistent support. What's your adoption story? Yeah, so my my adoption story um, is basically I was adopted, officially adopted when I was um, seven, and um, but I was in foster care arrangement um, with a few families before that, um, but there was one uh, main family who became my adoptive parents and they but they they had looked after me since I was 18 months old so um, from 18 months to seven when I was adopted it was just with that family so there was a real um, sense of permanency there and continuity of love and care and stability and and that sort of thing so um but but before between you know zero to 18 months um as, as far as I'm aware, um, the kind of the foster care process is um, the child is looked after for no more than three months at a time with a particular family um, and that is to prevent um, attachment to that particular foster care family because if the foster care family is sort of just doing it for a temporary, uh, temporary solution, um, I think at the time in sort of 1982 or the 80s that they thought that for that child to be attached and then detached and then attached again and detached, um, they probably saw that as a, um, a, a consequence of, um, of that happening. So, yeah, to reduce attachment, I was in foster care three months um, at a time with different foster families and I'm yet to know um, who they are. Um, but I do know one foster family who then became um, a lifelong um, sort of second mother, let's say. Um, she became my godmother and um, our my adoptive mother and her were sort of best friends um, all their lives and, you know, we went on holidays together. They lived not far away and, um, and so that was a really positive thing for me that I knew I was in a foster care arrangement, but that foster care family um, continued their relationship with me um, right up until um, she passed away um, a couple of years ago now. So, yeah, so 
my story is, um, you know, it's, I guess it's a quite positive, uh, you know, under the circumstances of having um, being removed from my um, birth mother, birth father, um, what, what's happened as a result has been quite positive. So I've, you know, grown up in a really um, stable home and I've had, you know, um, contact with birth family, um, both on my father's and mother's side. So, um, yeah, my, yeah, I just think it's, um, um, it's been, um, there's, there's a little bit of, there has been a little bit of, um, trauma and hurt around and just sadness around, um, being, I guess removed, but um, but because my birth family have uh, both have mental um, severe mental health um, issues, um, it was the right thing to do. So um, yeah, so I've and I've had a really positive experience with foster care and adoption. Good. Um, did that fact that you were adopted did it affect your relationships with? friends or um your peers growing up or was it largely something that didn't really come up um yeah for me it didn't come up um in a it didn't come up consciously I think subconsciously there were signs and things there um but it didn't really um affect me because you know I I had I had such a great life. My parents, uh, my adoptive parents gave me, have given me such an amazing opportunity to learn and grow and um, develop some really strong relationships with um, with people. Um, so it, so things didn't really come up um, until I was about 15 um, I just, I decided to run away from home. Um, and it wasn't even anything serious that had happened. Um, I think I got grounded for something, um, for staying out late one night or whatever. And, but then I just felt the urge to, um, to do something drastic to make a statement to then talk about adoption so it was I guess an act of rebellion in a way but because my parents you know because my parents were so um caring and loving and you know when I got back when, when I came home again after about a week um they uh, there was like a bit of an intervention that went on between um my parents and my godparents and the teachers and, you know, lots of mums, really close friends. Um, and they just said, why did you run away? And I said, because I'm adopted. Oh. And then that, <laughs> and that sort of prompted them to, um, I guess, investigate further with the Department of Children's Services, um, which is now called, um, it's called DCJ now, which is um, Department of Children. Ch- uh, child children and justice um and they that's when the social workers there had said um okay well 
maybe you need to tell her, maybe you need to tell Nadia that she has siblings. Siblings can be awesome and stressful at the same time. When you meet your siblings as a teen and feel compelled to help fill a maternal void in their lives, that can make things even more complicated. My parents said, oh, look, um, we, you know, they, they took me away on a holiday uh, and then they told me that I had two half-sisters and a half-brother. Yeah, and um, and then, yeah, and then I was really excited about that. So I, I guess, yeah, when I was 15, I'm, I might have felt a little bit unstable and, you know, as a teen you're sort of that way anyway where you're feeling a bit unsure of yourself and forming your identity, um, that it definitely, you know, finding out that I had siblings, you know, put, put my feet back on the ground, let's say, and I really wanted to find them and get to know them. And as it turns out, you know, my, my two sisters, they only lived about 10 minutes away. It was just in the next suburb. So can you tell me a little more about your decisions to go ahead and meet those siblings of yours? What um, drove you to that and how do you feel about that decision? I wanted to find them as soon as possible. Um, and then just knowing that they were so close, I was, so I was 15, uh, turning 16 and then that's when I could drive. Um, and I remember, yeah, pulling up to their house, you know, with my L plates on and my mum was in the car and they were sort of these, you know, eight and nine year old girls sort of waiting out the front um, and running, you know, running along the lawn, like back and forward to the house to let, you know, their dad know that I was coming. Um, and yeah, it's a moment that I'll never forget, you know, just getting out of the car and just feeling really nervous and overwhelmed. And, um, I had, you know, by, by age 15, 16, I had dreamed of having siblings because being an only child, you kind of crave that, um, you know, anything to do with, you know, having siblings in the house and um, it was quite quiet in my home. So um, it was um, just a whirlwind having to get out of the car and, and see these two little creatures like, you know, about hip height and just looking up at me and um, and then, yeah, and I just felt this overwhelming sense of responsibility as soon as I met them as well. Um, but mainly because they, they just had their father and there was no mother figure there. So, um, so I just instantly felt, um, that I wanted to be a part of their life and, and make some kind of positive, um, positive influence in some way to, um, yeah, to kind of create a little family of, of my own like um it's like a different world when you meet birth uh birth family because you have your life um but then you have this other life in in, yeah you have this other life and um it's quite a unique thing to to have where you're kind of living in two worlds basically sort of think oh well that that's what my life could have been like if I was living with them and then but it didn't happen that way, so I'm living with my adoptive parents. But I was really lucky that they lived so close and I was, yeah, I was just lucky with my age and, and what I wanted to do. And so I spent a lot of time with them 
Um, I think at one point there was um, uh, we'd have, I organised like a Tuesday night dinner every night and I would, you know, this is when I was driving, just, I'd drive to school, then um, I would um, go and play sport and then I would go and pick them up after I did my sport after school and then drive them to, to my place and have dinner and we'd all sit down and have dinner at the table and then I'd drop them home. So when you went in, you immediately went in sort of as the big sister but also as that mother figure. So you felt that responsibility immediately? Yeah, I did, and it sort of made me grow up a bit um, as well. I sort of knew that I had these, um, you know, these two two sisters that um, that were leading completely different lives to mine. They, I think they they desperately needed someone to just be that role all the time. I could only do what I could do. Do you feel like happy with that decision now? Like that's a tough decision to make when you're. 15 when you're just a young adult and you're figuring life out and you step into Mm. that role you think um it had positive effects for your life oh absolutely yeah um I I have no regrets I um I did what I could do with the knowledge that I had and the the means that I had so um and I could only do it you know, I still had to be a kid as well. I still had to kind of grow up and hang out with friends and go out and party and go overseas and um, and have my life as well. So um, I think they might have a different perspective on how it was because of it was a bit inconsistent. Um, but but on my side, it was um, I found the whole experience really rewarding and. Um, and yeah, and I and I still want to continue, um, you know, having that relationship with them into um, adulthood and and later on in life as well. Being a biological mother to her own kids can be a conflicting experience for Nadia. As much as she loves her own kids, it also reminds her of how much her siblings missed out on. Do you feel like um, starting that nurturing role at that young age? is um influences how you parent now oh wow yeah um the interesting thing the most interesting thing about my experience and my life is I have two girls that are 19 months apart and they they have very similar or I can I can pick similar aspects or characteristic traits that are in my two children that were in my sisters when I first met them. So right now they are 11 and nine and my two sisters are one, one year apart. Um, so when I met my sisters, they were, you know, nine and 10, that kind of same age. And I can just see, you know, similarities and, um, um, but also I can see, oh, wow. Like I was, one, I was so young when I was trying to, you know, have a relationship with them at such a young age at 15 um, and they were only 9 and 10. But then, yeah, just just comparing, you know, my two children to um, being, being that mother for them, that constant mother for them, um, there's, there's an element of a bit of sadness around the fact that they didn't have that um 
So, yeah, in a sense, yeah, sometimes at times I feel quite sad that they, that my sisters sort of never grew up with a stable maternal figure um, and that and that the only maternal figure they had was me and I guess, um, I, I, you know, I can only say I, I did my best um, but I don't think it was what, I think they needed, they definitely needed a lot more. Nadia's podcast, showcasing stories from those touched by adoption, has been a source of connection for Nadia. Seeing other people interact with their own stories, maybe in ways that were new to them, has been a healing journey for both her interviewees and herself. Doing the podcast has been an incredible experience for me. Um, I've got a goal to do five seasons and I also work in the yoga space as well. Um, doing a lot of things there with my my work um, in health promotion. So that's been a real positive influence. Um, and um, and going on this holiday with my family for a whole year, you know, just to be able to to just take a year off um, and travel around Australia and really just get immersed in. Um, Australian um, culture and um, an Aboriginal history as well too. We've been visiting lots of sacred sites and doing lots mm. of walking and national parks and that's all very healing and grounding. So nature is, you know, the best healer of, of, of anything. So um, yeah, that uh, sounds it's, it's just been great. Yeah, yeah, it's been really good. Cool. I, I'd love to hear more about what is it, like for you as an adoptee to talk about these other people to talk to these other people on your podcast is it can it be triggering for you is it like connecting like what are the different things that that adds to your life um I don't know if I'd say triggering um it definitely confronts some emotions that that go on internally um and but mainly the overarching um, emotion, which is exactly what you brought up, is connection, and that's why it's um, it's almost like a um, I'm drawn to it because of that sense of connection to other people, that sense of belonging, that um, you know, people um, that have that same they might not have this have the same story, but they've got the same bond or the same connection around adoption. So there's a instant line of communication that is different to what you would have with another person um, and there's a, a automatic sense of um, trust with another person to share those aspects of yourself that you don't usually share with other people um, and it's not because you it's not because you don't share it because you don't think other friends and things would uh, listen like they're happy to listen but they they may not completely get it. Um, and so when you uh, interview people who are in the adoption space, um, it's almost like um, you've already linking arms with them without even meeting them or speaking to them. You sort of, you know, you link up. It's like, uh, and that's, that's what I wanted to also create is that sense of um, online community presence. Um, for someone to share their story that is powerful, mainly powerful for them, um, for 
for their for where they're at in their self-discovery. In the ideal world, um, face-to-face would be my favourite way to communicate with someone because, you know, there's a lot of um, eye contact and, and, and obviously holding space for that person to share. So the ones that I have done face-to-face have been super powerful and, and helped that person. So the, the last one that I did that was face-to-face, um, uh, she lives in Sydney but I told, I said, look, I'm not going to be coming back around. I won't be back in Sydney until next year, you know, February next year. And so she said, oh, I'll come to you. So I said, oh, okay. Well, she's like, oh, where are you? Do you, um, are you going to be dropping into Broome? And I said, oh, yeah, I'll be in Broome in August. She said, okay, I will fly from Sydney to Broome via Brisbane and I will come and stay there for a week on a holiday and you can come over to my um, hotel and and interview me there and I was like all right fantastic so she's a lady in her 70s she's a relinquishing mother so um so that was it's a very powerful story so it was just great to have that face to face with her and she brought her photo album with all of her old photos of herself when she was young and yeah it was it was beautiful so um um she was comfortable enough to fly over to Broome to be interviewed by me face to face so um so that's powerful. And then I got a beautiful message from her after, like lots of messages from her afterwards saying, I feel, um, what she say, I feel like a much stronger person now because of our chat and, you know, and that's that makes me feel just so good that I can, um, you know, have that, um, share that with, with that person and for it to be a positive thing. Yeah. It's not just that you're putting their stories out there. It's that people need to tell them yeah I think people want to be seen and heard and when they do want to be seen and heard and and it is it is an adoption story then I you know I I would love to hear it I want to I want them to share share what they have um, because it's good for them and it's positive for them not because they're forced to not because they feel they have to it's because they're ready to they're ready to take that step, uh, that courageous step in their lives to um, to want to share, and um, and then they can go off and do positive things as a result. So there was one girl I interviewed in Adelaide. She'd written a book about her story in the foster care system. She's been in foster care pretty much her whole life since she was seven to since she was uh, until she was eighteen, and she wrote a book when she was fifteen years old. So I interviewed her, um, and um, I'm I'm in con- like I'm in contact with all of um, the people that I've interviewed post interview as well, seeing what they're doing, what they're up to, um, what's you know, um, just sharing my life with them and sharing, and they share their life with me. So um, and that's really that's what I that's definitely what I love getting out of it is just creating yeah having having people that you've never met before and then there's going to be this there potentially could be this continual uh communication with that person throughout you know from from here on in just because I've I've had that interview with them um and I think that's a really good thing I think the power of connection is um is really important it should never be underestimated 
With a second podcast season underway, Nadia is continuing to forge those connections with people in the adoption community. She's not done working through her own experience with adoption either. As her life goes on, her views on her past change. Be a part of this experience by tuning into her podcast, My Unknown Truth, and find links to her podcast on my website, adoptionuncovered.com. And thank you.